0: So on November 29th of 1898, Clive was born in Belfast, Ireland. Clive's mother, Florence, and Clive's father, Albert, they raised Clive and his older brother, Warren, in a home that most of us would love to be a part of. We would love to be in this house that was so joyful. Clive was a brilliant kid. He was creative, he was intelligent, he loved to read, he loved to write. In fact, uh, he liked to invent games for him and his brother Warren to play together. Unfortunately, at the age of nine, when uh, Clive was nine, his mother was diagnosed with cancer. And the months and the weeks and the days leading up to her death, Clive would go to God in prayer every day, praying that God would save his mother from cancer. However, after after Florence had passed away, the joy that seemed to permeate their house, seemed to permeate his childhood, seemed to vanish just in a moment. And from that, Clive began to doubt. Later in life, he would say that the loss of his mother was like the great continent had sucked the Atlantis. Not only did Clive lose his mother at the age of nine, but he basically lost his father as well. His dad couldn't handle it. And so he took his brother Warren and him and he sent them off to boarding school at Wynyard Boarding School just outside of London, England. And it was there that Clive's life began to kind of spiral down. He came under the administration of of the boarding school there and the headmaster's name was Oldie. Later we would find out that Oldie was actually certified as insane. So that wasn't a helpful thing. But having gone to church regularly as a child, now at boarding school, he didn't go anymore. Having prayed regularly as a child, this stopped when he got to boarding school because he realized that his prayers needed to be sincere and they were no longer as such. At this point, Clive began to question everything. Began to doubt everything that he had believed about God. Because of his doubt, he began to believe that life had no meaning at all. He would reflect back on his life and say this about this time in his life. Nearly all that I loved, I've believed to be imaginary. And nearly all that I believed to be real, I thought grim and meaningless. So the circumstances of his life, his mother's death, his father's abandonment, the fact that he felt disconnected from the world, all of these things led him to doubt and led him to question. And around the age of 17, Clive would become an atheist. He doubted the very existence of God. Have you ever doubted? Has your doubt ever caused you to question? Maybe this morning you are struggling with some serious doubt in your life. Maybe you, like me, struggle with some doubt when it comes to your self-worth. Am I good enough? Am I valuable enough? And because of some of the relationships you have in your life, you felt less than. You've been maybe verbally or physically abused, and so you question and you doubt your value. It's possible that you doubt your future. You think that there's no way, because of the mistakes that you've made in your past, that anything in your future could look good. Maybe you doubt that God will give you the child that you so desperately desire. Maybe you doubt that God will help to make the adoption go through. Maybe you've been praying for something for so long, just praying your whole life, but you just haven't gotten the answer that you want, and so you doubt. Maybe you doubt the relationships in your life. You're doubting the relationship with your dad, with your daughter, with your wife, with your son. Maybe you are just like Clive. You're doubting the very existence of God in this place this morning. And because of that, it's causing you to question everything. Doubt is inevitable. We've all doubted as fallen human beings. And we all will doubt. And when we doubt, we're going to have questions. But what do you do when you have questions? Many people will run away from God because of the doubt and the questioning in their life. But I believe that in our doubts, God wants us to run to Him for answers and assurance. Give your Bibles with you, pull them out with me, open up to Habakkuk chapter three. We're gonna be looking at verses 17 through 19. Habakkuk is a small little book towards the end of the Old Testament, one of my favorite in all of the Old Testament, in all the Old Testament. And uh Um, If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to grab the one in front of you. In fact, you can take that home as a gift from us. And if you haven't been with us over the past few weeks in this series called Work Out Your Doubt, then I would encourage you maybe sometime this week just to check out all of those other sermons. They're available online at gracelandbaptist.org. You can also download our app and check them out on there. But I think that they would be really helpful for you as we walk through this and conclude our series today. But before we jump into our text, I want to recap kind of some of the highlights of where we've been. As we look back to week one, our lead pastor, Larry Riley, he encouraged us to search for God in our doubting. Search for God in your doubting. And we read in chapter one of Habakkuk that the prophet here, this minor prophet, did that very thing. He went to God. He searched for God. He questioned God. He had a dialogue with God, wondering about justice, wanting justice, and God responds in a way that didn't make any sense to Habakkuk, saying that their greatest enemies, the Babylonians, were going to invade them. Two weeks ago, in the second week of this series, uh, we read about Habakkuk's second second complaint and how there was going to be this judgment that would come from their enemies, the Babylonians, and in that, we were encouraged to wait in our doubt, to wait in our doubt. It's so hard And then last week, Pastor Larry was here again, and he encouraged us to look beyond our doubt as we looked at uh, the good part of chapter 3 of Habakkuk. And I want to draw your attention to verse 16 before we jump in. Look at that with me very quickly. We see here that Habakkuk has this physical response to the fear that he has in his life. He has this physical response. Have you ever had an emotion that was so strong, a fear so strong, that it made your body tremble, made your body shake? You were just kind of overwhelmed with that? Well, that's what happened to Habakkuk, and that's where we are as we pick up and read in Habakkuk chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. It says this, "...though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines," The title of my message this morning is Rejoicing in Your Doubt. It's a tough one. It's a tough one for me. I'm sure it's a tough one for you. And I understand and I recognize that every person in this worship center is at a different place in their spiritual journey. Some of you are smack dab in the middle of some very serious pain, some very serious suffering, and you feel like that doubt has made this permanent residence in your life. Some of you have just come out of some serious doubt and some serious questioning and you're just on the other side of it, but maybe some of you are just kind of wandering into it at this moment. Doubt and questioning, you're battling it for the first time. From this passage and from the book of Habakkuk, from his example, I want to offer all of us three steps towards rejoicing in our doubt. Three steps to rejoicing in your doubt, and as counterintuitive as rejoicing in your doubt may sound, I hope that this will help us to see that God wants us to run to him in our doubt and in our questionings, and here's three ways how. The first one is this, relinquish what you don't know. Relinquish what you don't know. So we read verse 17, all of these things. We read all of these things, and it's important for us to understand that Habakkuk is part of an agrarian culture. And what this means is is that his audience would really understand that they were heavily reliant on the cultivation of land for what they did. They needed to cultivate that land. therefore, as we look back in verse 17, when it says that the fig tree won't bloom... When it says that there will be no fruit on the vine, that the produce in the fields will result in no yield, that the flocks and the herd will be cut off. Basically what he's saying is this. Not only are things bad today, but they're not going to be any better tomorrow. Not only are the trees not producing fruit today, there probably won't be any tomorrow. Not only are we not eating today, but it doesn't look like we're going to eat much more tomorrow. Not only are we suffering under the rule of the Babylonian Empire, but it won't look any better in the future. For most of the book, Habakkuk holds on to the things that he does not understand. All of these things, all of these hardships, all of this suffering, he holds it so close to his chest. But finally here, he is relinquishing all that stuff, all that questioning, all that stuff he doesn't understand. He relinquishes it to God. Habakkuk goes from saying, do this for me, God, to, okay, God, now I'm ready to have your way in me. Here's the hard part with this. The really hard part. Just because we run to God in our doubt, it doesn't mean that our circumstances will change in the way that we want them to. Let me say that again. Just because we run to God in our doubt, it doesn't mean that all of our circumstances are going to change in the way that we want them to. So Clive, as he got older, he went to Oxford University. Oxford is a really um, prestigious school and he would become an intellectual giant. He was studying everything that he could, bringing in all of this worldly information. But as an atheist, one of the greatest points of doubt for him was this idea of suffering. Have you ever struggled with that? The idea of suffering and pain in the world? Clive, he couldn't understand that there would be this God, a sovereign God, a loving God over everything. How could he allow evil and suffering In the world. Well, later in life, Clive would get married to a woman named Joy Davidman. They would get married, and just three years after they got married, tragedy would strike again. Just like his mother, his wife would come down with cancer. She would pass away. Through the grief, through the suffering, through the doubt, through the questioning, Clive did something different, though, this time. He went to God for some answers. He took his questioning. He took his God. He took his questioning and his doubt to God for answers. Later in life, he would write this about his struggle with suffering and pain. He said, "My argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. Just how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a, cro- a line crooked unless he has some idea." Of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Thus, in the very act of trying to prove that God did not exist, in other words, that the whole of reality was senseless, I found I was forced to assume that one part of reality, namely my idea of justice, was full of sense. Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. Listen to this. If the whole universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning. What was Clyde doing here? He was beginning to relinquish all the things he didn't understand. He was beginning to take his questioning, his doubting, to God. And he took his questions to God, not so that God would change his circumstances, but that so God would begin to change his heart. Our circumstances can create so much chaos. But our faith forms a foundation to withstand that chaos. So let me ask you some questions this morning. What is it that you need to relinquish to God? What is it that you don't understand? What doubt, what questioning do you have that just doesn't make sense? What is it that you need to hand over to him? Relinquish what you don't know. So that, on the other hand, you can rejoice in what you do know. That's the second point this morning. After we relinquish what we don't know, we can rejoice in what we do know. Let's jump back into our text. Look with me at verse 18. Habakkuk uh, relinquishes all the things he doesn't understand in verse 17. And then in verse 18, he rejoices in what he does know. He rejoices in the Lord. He rejoices in the God of his salvation. My friends, this is what Christian maturity looks like. Rejoicing in our doubt. Rejoicing even though we don't know what's happening because of what we do know and what we can hold fast to. Early on in the book, I would say that Habakkuk wanted justice more than he wanted to know God. I would say that he wanted justice more than he wanted to worship God. I would say that he wanted justice more than he wanted God. So often in our lives, we like to treat God like Aladdin's lamp. We'll just kind of rub the lamp whenever we need something. When pain and suffering happens, we're like, God, just take care of this. We say things like this, I'll rejoice in you, God, if you'll you will fix my marriage. I'll rejoice in you, God, if you will fix the relationships that I have with my kids. I'll rejoice in you, God, if you just heal me of this disease. If we say these things, do we truly want God or do we just want him to fix the things in our lives? Because if we truly want God, If we truly want God, then we need nothing else than to turn to the salvation that he offers. And he offers salvation to each and every one of us through Jesus Christ. This is all we need to know. This is all we need to know. We can rejoice in this foundation. We can rejoice in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, friends, because the gospel is a doubt destroyer. The gospel is a doubt destroyer. When we rejoice in what we know, when we rejoice in the God of our salvation, when we rejoice in Jesus Christ, then we can rejoice in everything, the good and the bad. We want to celebrate the good with God. We want to take the bad to God. Pastor Matt Chandler, he said this. I found it so helpful for me. He said, the only joy that cannot be taken from you is joy in Jesus Christ. Think about this for a moment. The only joy that cannot be taken from you is joy in Jesus Christ. So many things in our lives bring us joy. Um, Really, really good things bring us joy. But if we have joy in the things of this earth, and those things can be taken away from us, what happens when they're taken away? Where does our joy go if they're in those things? Any of you know what the Enneagram is? I said this in first service, and I had like no hands up. So anyone? Okay, there we go. Hands raised high. That's good. The Enneagram is this new self-evaluation tool that you can find online. So um, I know these things run rampant, but it's kind of like the DISC assessment or Myers-Briggs, those kind of things. It's the new one. And what you do is you take uh, this thing online, and it tells you what type of person you are. So I took the free online assessment, and I found out that I was a three. Any other threes in the room? So just a couple. All right. So anyway, just so you know, there's these one through nine, and it tells you all the good things about you that you can be. It also tells you all the bad things, but I'm not going to talk about those because I don't want you to, to know about all the bad things. But as a three, I am known as an achiever. Maybe you can relate. An achiever is success-oriented. They uh, like to complete tasks. They are pragmatic types. So right now, for a moment, I want to talk to all of my achievers, my threes in the room. What happens when your joy is in accomplishment? What happens when your joy is in marking off all the things on your to-do list? What happens when that to-do list grows too long? What happens when you actually fail and don't complete the things on your to-do list? You see, when our joy is linked the things that we do, and when we don't do those things, our joy is taken away. And the same goes for other many great things. I take joy in so many things in this earthly life. One of the things I take the most joy in is my family. Do you take joy in your family? Yeah. But scripture tells us that this life is but a vapor. What happens in your life when you lose a family member? If your joy is only in your family, what happens at that point? What happens when you pass on, and your family's joy was only in you? What about your work, your job? What happens when you lose your job? What happens when you retire? What about physical fitness? If you like to run, you like to work out, you like to eat healthy, what happens when you get injured? What happens as you get older, or maybe you're diagnosed with an illness? If your joy are in these temporary things, when those temporary things are taken away, your joy goes with it. All these things, family, work, health, wealth, while they are so good, they can be taken away from you. There's only one thing that cannot be taken away from you, no matter your circumstance, no matter your situation, and that is joy in Jesus Christ. Yes. Do you know this Jesus? Do you know him? Do you know he died for you? on the cross, bore your sins, your mistakes, your faults, your failures, all that stuff. Took it on him. All you have to do is believe in him, follow after him, make him Lord and Savior of your life. And then all of your circumstances drive you to him. All of your joy is in him. So how is it that we can see people that rejoice in cancer, Jesus? How is it that we can see people who rejoice When their family members pass, Jesus, how is it that we can rejoice in our doubt? Jesus, rejoice in what you know. Rejoice in the saving power of the gospel. Rejoice in the saving power of Jesus Christ. Finally, the third and the final step that we see here to be able to rejoice in our doubt in Habakkuk is to understand that we can reach new heights because of who you know. First, we need to relinquish what we don't know. We need to rejoice in what we do know. And then we can reach new heights because of who you know. And that who is, of course, Jesus. Let's jump back to verse 19 of Habakkuk. We read this a little bit ago. It said, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread On my high places. This is the result of trusting in God. Habakkuk's faith has led him to receive a strength from God. So, the weak knees that I mentioned in verse 16, the trembling, the body shakes, all of those weak knees become strong, running like deer along the mountainside. Have you ever seen a deer run? It's a beautiful thing, the way that they're able to run through the forest and leap and jump. Does your faith lead you to this kind of power? Have you gotten rid of all the junk, relied in Jesus, and then allowed his strength to fill you and move you to run along mountaintops? It's only through God's strength that we can begin to ascend the hill. It's only through God's strength that we can go to these high places. One of the biggest things that keeps us from doing that, though, is just relying on ourselves. When we doubt, when we fear, when we question, we just take that inward and rely on ourselves. Is this you? Are you bottling up your doubt and your fear and your questioning? Because if you do, then you're aren't, Jesus isn't able to work through you to move up that hill. You've got to give that stuff up and run to him. When we last left him, Clive had not only lost his mother to cancer, he had not only lost his dad, been abandoned by his dad, but now he has lost his wife to cancer as well. Through his doubt, though, and through his questioning, he began to understand this: that prayer is not just about calling down miracles from God on demand. He understood he understood something so important, that God had actually answered his prayers in the situation with his wife, Joy. He understood that the brief remission that she had from cancer before she passed away, was God answering his prayers, God changing his doubt and his questioning to trust and to faith and reliance on him. So having relinquished what he didn't understand, that allowed Clive to finally rejoice in what he would eventually come to know, and Clive would put his faith in Jesus Christ. He would enter into a relationship with Jesus. He received salvation. And then after that, and it didn't just, just happen overnight, but he would begin to reach these new heights because of his relationship with Jesus. He understood now that he had this faith, this testimony, he needed to take that and share it with others. And Clive, being an intellectual giant, he had some pretty, um, pretty big-time friends. So he began to share his faith with some that may, may, many of you may have heard of this guy. He began to sh- share his faith with J.R.R. Tolkien. He wrote a couple of books you may have heard of, The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings. But Clive himself would take his imagination, he would take his writing ability and begin to put those in books. He began to put those in books. Um, he would talk about Jesus and really um, put these images of who Jesus was in this fantasy series that became quite popular. You may have heard of it. It's called The Chronicles of Narnia. You see Clive Staples, he was also known as C.S. Lewis. He would respond to the doubt. He would respond to the questioning in his life by running to God for answers. He would use all the pain, all the suffering in his life to write about how God was good, to share the good news of Jesus, and to point people to the cross of Jesus. C.S. Lewis wrote one of my favorite books. If you've not read it, I would encourage you to pick it up. It's called Mere Christianity. It's a book that I've read probably more than any other book besides the Bible, and I try to give it away as often as I can. So if you if you want that book, you can come see me and I'll give it to you. Um, not everyone though. <laughs> but in that book, he would write this. It's one of my favorite quotes from him. We are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We're wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. This is so hard. And I need to be reminded of this day in and day out. But let me encourage you with this, friends. Don't doubt in the darkness what you know to be true in the light. Don't doubt in the darkness what you know to be true in the light. So if you're in the midst of it right now, of suffering, of doubting, of questioning, don't forget what Jesus did on the cross. Don't doubt in your pain what you know to be true in your prosperity. Let me tell you this. Faith is not the absence of doubt Rather, it's how we respond to doubt and who we run to in our doubt.